Greetings and salutations, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Retro Smackdown Rundown Experience uh, thing or thing or thing thing thing. Uh, I'm Jimmy Baxter and joined as always on this Smackdown experience by Scott McLeod. Scott, what's up, buddy? I'm doing good, man, and I'm I'm here and I'm ready to podcast like it's 1999. Damn right. Damn right. And that we will. Um, if you're following along with us on the network, which would be super fun of you guys if you did that, um, the air date for this episode, the first actual episode of SmackDown was April, uh, August 26th, 1999. The location is Kansas City, and SmackDown really came out of the uh, really came out of the gate both guns ablazing. Uh, I think I mentioned it earlier to you uh, in our uh, little text messaging uh thread that uh this just felt like an hour and a half of long version of heat uh you feel the same way yeah definitely all like you said all guns blazing from the first, very first episode and like you can already tell how much has changed from the pilot episode which was like three months before this yeah yeah the um the pilot episode airs at the end of april and this one doesn't even air until the end of August, so so much has happened. Uh, we pick up just after SummerSlam 99 here. There's a big title change. There's, like, a lot going on. I mean, WWE in 99 and 2000 is, like, if you miss a week, you've missed everything. And we've missed three months, so... I think you can sum up the three months in between us with just the phrase, it's me, Austin. That sums up the whole inter- interim period of... 1999 here because it was all about the ministry and the court ministry in the pilot episode by this point they're already gone yeah essentially and that's that's just how quickly things moved back then and it's just it, it's just interesting to see how much has changed since the last episode that we covered which was the pilot which you can find in our archives by looking up rogue opinions if you found this episode and haven't found the rest you're not doing podcasting right <laughs> um and we're gonna be you know, running down the episodes one by one, and we're getting started on episode one. The opening video package features Triple H injuring Austin and, you know, uh, breaking JR's arm and getting the title shot against Mankind, uh, who I forgot won the title at SummerSlam 99 for the third time. I yeah. totally forgot that that happened. Uh, and then um, he wins the title, um, and we go into... The opening, we get the and then we see the OG SmackDown set. I yeah. forgot how much I love this set. It's fantastic. Yeah, I forgot how much I love this set as well. Like This felt proper like we're here, we're into SmackDown officially now from the pilot because the pilot was filmed like after a Raw. They had Raw, like it's like they had the intro, but they weren't didn't have a full like distinguished set yet, whereas this feels like a proper, like different type of show from Raw. Yeah, the um, the pilot plays just as that. It's more of like a proof of concept. Like, hey, yeah, we could do another two hours every week, you know. Um, so we got Jr. and King on commentary as the first real commentary team of SmackDown. That was confusing for me because I've always associated SmackDown this time with Michael Cole and Jr. Lord. I had no idea Jr. was on the commentary for the first episode. Yeah, I mean, um, at this point, I guess it's um, obviously like. Uh, after he had come back from his bout with Bell's palsy this time around. And uh, it's before he ends up, I, I think up until the brand split in 2002, I think it's J.R. and King on both shows. But it's it's always good. J.R. and King are, you know, they're the classic team. It's They're the team 
most of us grew up on. So I'm always down to listen to those guys rant and rave about wrestling and puppies and puppies and wrestling. We get the new WWF champion Triple H and China coming out to cut a promo. Triple H says, I broke JR's arm. I'm sorry. Uh, JR says on commentary that Triple H broke his arm in four places. So, geez, Louise, that that's just that's that's brutal. I mean, this is really the beginning of Triple H becoming the game and the reign of terror really starts in 1999. Um, How familiar are you with this current run that Triple H goes on here in 99 and 2000? It does feel like he's getting more into the Triple H that I know because as far as I've been watching wrestling, Triple H has always been kind of a top guy. Whereas when I've watched stuff from like the start of 99, it feels like it's almost a stop-start thing with him. But I think he's quickly approaching like full like his full ascension to being the biggest like heel in the company and like being the top guy that I've always seen him as when I when I was as long as I've been watching. Yeah, absolutely. This is really the uh, the beginnings of that. They've already given him the title and stuff, but it's really just the title is sort of making the guy, you know, up his game. Because at this point, you really couldn't afford to be a mid card WWE champion uh, or WWF champion at the time. There's a China has no vagina sign in the background. <laughs> oh, 1999 in their fucking signs. I didn't even notice that. Oh, dude, I noticed. Uh, I noticed uh, like a bunch uh, at this time because my eyes just sort of navigate to like the sea of signs that are out there in the 90s because you get so few uh, nowadays. Like all you get really today is that fucking guy in NXT who sits in the front the front row all the time and who was at the front row of Fighter Fest. Um, um, yeah, that the fucking guy who's always in the what the Emirates. Uh, Football yeah, team, guy. Jersey, yeah, oh, fucking Christ, and it's like less about like people being funny and signs, and more about like people being obnoxious in the front row. So it's always cool to see what like ends up making it onto a broadcast and like the replay of it on the, the network twenty years later. And so Rock is watching backstage. Um, Triple H says he's proved himself to be what he said, and what he said he was was the game, and he'll beat up anyone thrown at him. He mentions The Rock. The Rock does not like that, so he comes out after Triple H mentions him, um, and The Rock says that Triple H's game, if he is the game, his game sucks, and the crowd goes fucking wild. <laughs> um, and I mean, hey, 1999, it was easier to impress people, I assume. Uh, he, he then says he's going to beat Hunter's monkey ass for the title uh, in the middle of the ring tonight. So the challenge was laid down. Uh, Triple H proclaims that The Rock is not even in his league. And they snipe back and forth at one another until The Rock starts walking down the people's ramp. And he's taking off his $800 t-shirt and his $300 sunglasses. And is you know, running down all these things where, like, it's interesting to see that this Rock is the face Rock here um but yeah um as as they're going back and forth commissioner Shawn michaels comes out and makes the rock versus triple h for, for the wwf title tonight and names himself the special guest referee shane then the way that this was shot was weird it just sort of like shane just sort of teleports into yeah. the ring to one up hbk names himself the second special special guest referee until shane says uh until uh sean says that shane is going to be busy with mankind uh, before we get to Mankind's part of this promo, what did you think of the way that this whole 
snipe train is going here at the beginning of SmackDown. Yes, there's a lot being thrown at you, like right from the off. And a few things I made note of was one, The Rock got ripped off. That shirt cost eight hundred dollars. Uh, two, he really seems obsessed with sticking things up Triple H's ass because he says that like three different times. And like you said, with Steve McMahon just comes out of nowhere. Like part of me even thought, like, did he walk down with China Triple H? And I just forgot about it because it just appears from like nowhere. And Sean. I don't even know what Sean was wearing. I think he was—he just wandered off the set of Miami Vice or something like that. I don't know where he came from. It's like Austin, Austin Texas Vice. He's wearing that like Texas T-shirt and like a white suit, and I mean, it was a—it was a look for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's the best way to describe it—a look. So then, um, after HBK says Shane is going to be busy with Mankind, Mankind comes out and says, "With all this talk of stroking and screwing." It's made me very excited. He starts to imitate The Rock and says that he's going to take off his $3 shirt and undo his tie given to him for free by the WWF. And, I mean, the the chemistry between Mankind and The Rock here. I mean, just world class. I'm world class. I just, I couldn't get enough of it. They uh, they come down to um, to beat up Triple H and Shane, the Mean Street Posse come out. They get beat up as well. And that's the end of the opening segment. Um, so all in, uh, how did SmackDown open for you? What was the uh, the feeling you had by the end of the uh, massive promo at the beginning? Like I said, there was just so much happening at once. It was hard to keep up with. Like, you got the general gist of it. Like It's going to be Rock and Triple H in the main event with Sean as the referee. But they threw so much at you in the way of getting there. And I really did like... Uh, Mankind saying that he does this a lot this thing where he does kind of parodies of like the rocks catchphrase that has the dozens and dozens of Mankind fans <laughs> and the people who like responded really did sound like a dozen or so people were like and dozens and also it's weird to see that the rock and Mankind are faces when they're being at the fossil one of which has a medical boot on his leg so it's really hard to see them as faces when one of the guys is attacking you has like a bit on can barely walk. Yeah, but even for you know being able to barely walk, it still makes uh, mankind a really dangerous person. He was thrown off of a cell like a year and change before this, and is running out wearing a medical boot. I'd be pretty scared of this guy at this point in my career. Uh, yeah. Deborah and Double J and Miss Kitty, who is a new character that we're meeting for the first time here on SmackDown. Uh, she's been appointed as Deborah's assistant, who is the manager of Double J. So, you know, a little bit of a corporate hiccup there, I'm assuming, because Double J needs two women at his side. They're shown uh, hastily heading to the ring. Also, Mr. Ass is coming out because they're going to have a non-title match. The IC champion Jeff Jarrett with Deborah, who is with Miss Kitty, versus Badass Billy Gunn or Mr. Ass. Uh, Double J starts uh, beating up Mr. Ass before uh, his music goes off and his music stays on for a little while. So it's almost like Mr. Ass was getting his ass beat to his own theme song for a minute and made me chuckle because uh, that's that's fantastic. Um, Deborah waits no time in waiting, uh, waiting to distract Mr. Ass. Doesn't work. Uh, China comes out, whacks Deborah with the uh, with the guitar Mr. Ass gets the win via distraction, and then she low blows Mr. Ass. 
I mean, not much to say about this because Jeff Jarrett and uh, Billy Gunn are both really talented, solid performers. And uh, I mean, this match was around for less than the time it takes you to drink a cup of coffee. So, but a lot was thrown at you in the two minutes that it was on screen. What did you make of it? Yeah, it definitely felt like a match that was like on and fast forward. And I was thinking, like between the pilot and this, Billy Gunn's won King of the Ring. How many times do you think the commentators mentioned it? Oh, 847 times. You'd be wrong. The answer is zero. Little mental. There's a, like a small crown on his his trunks, but that's as far as you get any no indication that he won King of the Ring. Like, if you just watched nothing else in between the pilot and this, you'd have no idea that he won King of the Ring. It's just unbelievable. And this might be a random bit of information, but I'm actually going to see Jeff Jarrett live at the end of the month, at the end of July, that is. Oh, really? Where's uh, where's Double J going to be at in your neck of the woods? Uh, he's coming to ICW Shug's House Party. It's a two-night event, and I believe his match may be the main event of night one, where he takes on Just Justice Jackie Polo. All right. Well, good to see Jeff Jarrett still out there making that uh, that European indie indie fuck money. <laughs> yeah, there's actually there's a whole backstory to this and everything, but I don't think we have time on this show to go into. It. Uh, unfortunately, we do not, but we'll catch up with that on the next episode. I promise. Um, hardcore champion Al Snow is with Lillian Garcia uh, to beg for for his dog back, uh, Pepper, from Boss Man. Um, then we see Jericho is getting a shoe shine by the Fink and test is waiting for Stephanie. Very frenetic, very like, this is happening. This is happening. This is happening. Go to commercial. Like the way that the, uh, the editing is done here is very interesting. Like I said, it, it just, it feels like a 90 minute episode of heat. You don't really get enough time to even like breathe or, you know, absorb anything. Um, before they move on to the next thing uh just before we move on to the next match what did you think of that uh those three little backstage segments yeah there were this is a comment in third day i think it's a kind of a first episode thing where there were a lot of quick cuts like the camera they would cut from one segment to another and because it cut so quickly the two people would be having like a conversation the audio wasn't like turned up enough so you couldn't really hear what they were saying or like the commentators would be talking and then they'd cut to a backstage set before the commentators had finished talking. So then they're talking over what's happening. So like, it feels like even the people involved in the show like can't even keep up with it. Also, what was weird is they cut away from Al Snow like just before he finishes his sentence. So you still hear him when it cuts to Jericho lacing up his boot for a second. And it was like, nah, there's a couple little problems here, but you know, it happens, I, I suspect, because, you know, I mean, this is just episode one, but overall, I mean, could be worse. Yeah, probably. I mean, having the earlier on where Mr. Rath was coming to the ring, you could see him having a small like conversation just to himself. But you couldn't even hear anything of what he was saying because the commentators were talking and you couldn't even the mic was even turned up loud enough to hear what he was talking about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we move. Oh, go ahead. Good. It was probably content his own ass, but, you know. Well, I mean. More than likely, he does like to stick him. He likes to feel him. He likes to hug him, and he likes to stick him. Um, we move on to Triple Threat WWF Tag Team Championship match: X Pac and Kane versus the Accolades versus the Champions, Undertaker and Big Show. Um, Undertaker immediately takes a seat at the commentary table and leaves Big Show on his own to quote teach him a lesson. 
Taker and Show just won the titles back at SummerSlam on Sunday. Uh, and like I said, Taker opts to join commentary to uh, teach Big Show a lesson about being able to like really focus in and be, you know, the person that he like the killer that Taker thinks he can be. Show, Farouk, and Kane start off the match, but it quickly breaks down. Taker slaps Show at ringside to fire him up, and it works. X-Pac makes the tag for reasons, because that, you know, matters in this match, apparently, because it's a clusterfuck up until that point. Um, then Kane murders everyone, briefly. Um, Big Show chokes slimes the hell out of X-Pac for the win, and X-Pac is not happy uh, what did you make of this triple threat match uh, that Big Show was able to win on his own? Yeah, well, when you came, when they came out, you'd be forgiven for thinking uh, Paul Bear and Big Show were the tag team champions because Paul Bear was holding the second tag belt and The Undertaker looked like he'd rather be like anywhere else than on this show, which is probably why he's probably better stayed on Contour. But yeah, I did like the idea, like they're trying to tell us, Big Show trying to prove himself, but like, Saying like, oh, you're gonna go at it yourself, but like he's seven foot tall and five hundred pounds. Like, it's not the biggest challenge. Like, if he was someone like Xbox size, you told him go and wrestle this triple threat tag match by yourself, you'd you get it more of a challenge. But I think, given big to size, I think you could kind of tell he would at least put in a good effort. And I did like it came down to him and Xbox because the way he lifts the height he gets Xbox up for the choke slam makes it look even more impressive because Xbox is by far the smallest guy in this match. Oh, absolutely. I mean, by like leaps and bounds, X-Pac is he's essentially a toddler, like sitting courtside at an NBA game like the, the it, it was insane. Just the, the difference in size. And I mean, when you have a guy as big as Big Show, who's able to I mean, the choke slime he gave to uh, Bradshaw, I think it, that happened at that at some point. I watched this just before bed last night, so I'm piecing it back together a little bit. But yeah. like when you have guys who are able to lift up Bradshaw and Farouk as much as they did, that like it's just it's just insane that you would think that X Pac could even get anything done. But I mean, he does hold his own for a little bit, but it was to uh, to no avail because Big Show ends up choke slamming the hell out of him and getting the win. They keep the tag team titles for now. Just after the match, we see Stephanie arriving. Um, all I ended up hearing her say was "Yep." And she walks past Test. Uh, so hopefully we're going to get caught up on that in moments. Uh, but then it cuts to a boss man promo uh, who's in the ring. And he says he's not hard to find. I'm 300 and some odd pounds. And he tells Al to Al Snow to come out. Al does that almost immediately. Boss man promises that he'll send that little bastard to hell if Al doesn't put the hardcore title on the line tonight. Uh, so... Al Snow goes into the back, goes and grabs his hardcore title, and Bossman goes into the back to grab the dog. Uh, because next up is WWF Hardcore Championship match. Al Snow, the champion, taking on Big Bossman with Pepper the dog at the commentary table. Um, I'm just going to get this out of the way. I don't like the fact that that poor tiny dog had to be out in front of a screaming arena of 12,000, 20,000 people. Um, I'm like, I'm a dog lover, and I just, I did not feel great for that poor little dog here in this segment. But, uh, other than that, it was just a clusterfuck of weapons as usual, and um, we, the you know, the signs in the crowd strike again as I see Wade Keller lies right behind uh, the ring on hard camera. So, yeah. good, good for that guy to get his opinions out there. But uh, what did you make of the Hardcore Championship match? I was gonna say was that Eric Bischoff because 
I think that's all I hear on most of the Eric Bischoff's podcasts. It's either him or Dave Meltzer he rips into. But yeah, I agree with you on the point of the dog because the dog looked terrified throughout this match. It's all GR. The thing we're talking about was the dog rather than the match. And it did feel like the whole the round promo and then come back for commercial to have the match. It really felt like maybe we could have done the promo, had like maybe the triple threat or one of the other matches and then did this because the matches weren't very long. So we had a bit of a longer gap between the two, then maybe that would have came across better. But I did like that it just essentially implied that the dog pissed itself. Oh, yeah. I mean, those those dogs are jumpy as it is when you're just like one on one with them. So for that for that poor little dog to be like ringside, like with all these weapons going on and a fight taking place in front of them and Jr. and the King, you know, yelling commentary into their headsets and stuff. I'm surprised that poor dog didn't have like a stroke sitting at ringside. Yeah. Um, Bossman wins the title quickly and then decides to take the dog again. Um, Al Snow then, you know comes to uh it, it, well first it shows the x-pac shown arguing with kane and leaving um and then it cuts back and al snow is upset that the dog isn't ringside and he runs after boss man uh and he's shown looking backstage for pepper the dog uh if anyone doesn't know where this is going it gets worse before it gets better so hang tight yeah, um it's felt, it felt uncomfortable because i know where it's going so i just felt bad yeah exactly um we move on to the fourth match already in this show. Uh, Road Dog versus the in-ring premiere of one Christopher Jericho. I'm going to go to you first on this one. Uh, what did you make of Chris Jericho's premiere uh, match in the WWF? He came out very like flamboyantly when he was walking in his Agent Street hair when he came out. That's the best description <laughs> I can give. And uh, I was a bit surprised because like, I've read Jericho's like, second book where he says it took him ages to adapt to the WWE style and it didn't look that bad to me. You know, then again, he was against the Road Dog, who's never been known for his in-ring acumen, but I thought it was a, a decent enough match for what it was and a weird ending with Jericho randomly putting Road Dog through a table for the DQ. Yeah, uh, I, that's what I, I found uh, most interesting about this match in general was that Jericho's first WWF match, uh, like his first WWF match, ends in a DQ loss by deciding to powerbomb Road Dog through a table and hitting him with the uh, the Lion Tamer, or I guess it would be known to become the uh, Walls of Jericho. But I consider them two slightly different moves. So, best less said about that, the better. But um, I guess it's mainly to get heat. But like, you would never see something like this today um for you know like a big accus like a big acquisition that chris jericho was he was like the most sought after free agent in 1999 and for him to come out and then lose by dq is just something that's very interesting and not something that would normally happen um fink fink comes out to assist jericho at one point but quickly runs off uh jericho brings in the table and obviously that ends in uh, a DQ finish, um, they, they they cut to commercial. There's a like a weird cut to commercial where Jericho and Fink are backstage, and Jericho is trying to hype up uh, Fink to take over Chimmel's announcing job, uh, which he attempts to do. Um, but like I think Fink came out to the Warriors music, which was strange. 
uh, that he would get a music cue, let alone the Ultimate Warriors music. So match 4.5 is Tony Chimmel versus Howard Finkel. Uh, Chimmel kicks the shit out of Fink and uh, gets him out of the ring. And uh, in my book, Chimmel's 1-0. Uh, uh, Jericho comes out to escort Fink to the back. Um, and then Shamrock comes out for what appears to be a match that's going to happen. Um, but then Fink, Jericho sends Fink down towards Shamrock. And Jericho slams Shamrock in the back with a chair when he's um, distracted by the Fink and gets chased down. More on that in a bit. The best line here is Jericho saying that to think that Chimmel doesn't have the hair that he has when Howard Finkel is known for being bald. Yeah, <laughs> the way that the way that Jericho like talks to like these uh, like lackeys that he had at this point, even in WCW, because uh, I go back often and sort of watch some of the old WCW stuff, and this is definitely still more WCW Jericho, which is weird to see in WWE, but our WWF at this time. Um, but yeah, he does come out very flamboyantly and, but he is very, uh, conniving and he's always just trying to like fuck everybody over. So that, that's, it's just an interesting little segment there. And what did you make of Chimmel's first win? Big win in the WWF. Five stars all around. Damn right. Go Tony Chimmel. Be on yourself. Um, so the, uh, this next promo ends up turning into a match. So I think we're going to try and lump a little bit of it together. Stephen McMahon comes out. And calls Andrew Test Martin out to the ring. Uh, and he does just that. He comes right out. And uh, Steph uh, agrees to marry Test. We're going to have a wedding in like seven months. Shane and the posse uh, come out to jump Test. Mankind, Mankind comes out with a chair and lays out everybody. Mankind advises Shane to leave Test and, Shane, uh, Test and uh, Stephanie alone. And says that their match is going to start right now because he's not walking out here twice. He's not walking down that ramp again. <laughs> uh, challenges Shane to find the testicular fortitude to come down and take a free shot with a chair. This is the beginning of him using uh, some more of those uh, rock-like uh, catchphrases. Um, people like that phrase, testicular fortitude. I actually still try and use it from time to time. He does that. He does come in and hits... Um, mankind right in the face with the chair and proclaims loudly into the camera i am the king of hardcore which made me <laughs> nearly piss myself laughing mankind and shane brawl around ringside uh and then it's just like a big cluster from here on out so what did you make of this promo into mankind versus shane mcmahon i mean i mean stephanie's like only, only a couple months before she has one of our first like major like moments in the wwe She's still struggling to grasp the whole promo thing. Because she says to Andrew, now that we're alone, you know, in front of this arena full of people, instead of doing this backstage where you would have been alone, except for just using the cameraman. And then Mankind, just how brave he is to turn his back and give a chair to the best in the world. It's just, it just shows how, how scrambled that man's brain's been after all those unprotected chair shots. Like To call this a match, I think, would be a bit of a stretch, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely more of an angle, and it's more of a... It's 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 almost even too quick to call a match. I mean, there's not even really an end to it. Um, um, Mankind and, and Shane, they brawl around. Uh, Test helps Mankind uh, with the posse who came out to, uh, to come out and jump Mankind. The Stooges are out there. Steph jumps in. Left all alone, uh, Shane is given Sako as China, and Triple H come down. 
Uh, Triple H comes down and strikes Mankind with a chair in the face. Ugh. And uh, Shane wins. Uh, it's funny how today is paralleled by 1999 because this is something that definitely, I mean, I mean, something like this just happened at Super Showdown with Shane. So it's interesting to see that uh, the whole best in the world thing started 20 years ago. Because, I mean, I guess when you're born with greatness, it doesn't just show up in 2019. Yeah. And I did love that they even included the stages and the during the match when the posse trying to get involved, that's just shows like, how do you make a match better? Get Patterson and Briscoe in. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, just if you need coffee or you need some some like jabronis beat up, call in the Stooges. <laughs> they they'll go out there and do whatever you need them to do. Um, Jericho and Fink are seen leaving, but Fink is left behind. Shamrock grabs Fink, who shits himself. Moving on, Cole sits <laughs> down with Stone Cold Steve Austin. Uh, Austin says he's going to be out for a bit and that it's up to him to decide when he's ready to return after uh, doing some rehab. He promises to come back and beat whomever whomever is WWE champion. He's going to beat their ass for the title and take his title back. Um, what did you make of this uh, this sit-down interview that Cole had with Stone Cold? I think it was okay. Like It got Austin on uh, TV and given that he just lost the belt, he should have been on TV, but we can tell that he's going to be going away soon because injuries are starting to catch up. And I just thought it wasn't his best promo, though, because he thought about Triple H kind of basically taking a page out of his book with how violent he's becoming. Because he says, he took a page out of my book, which is fine, but he hasn't read the whole book. So I'm like, you're really going all in this book metaphor and it's not working. Yeah, yeah, for real, for real. <laughs> um. We go back to the arena now. Uh, we have an evening gown match. Ivory, the champion, taking on Tori. Tori only comes out in like a button-down shirt. I'm guessing she didn't bring an evening gown with her, or somebody in the back was like, damn it, just send her out in a button-down shirt. It's not going to matter. We're going to get those titties out. <laughs> um, Tori comes out in just a button-down shirt. Ivory gets... Stripped and uh, loses. The king is apoplectic about the puppies getting out. Um, Luna comes out to hold Tori back. And I mean, there really isn't much to say about this other than, hey, Tori's women's champion. I mean, uh, Ivory's women's champion now. Yeah. Cool. I mean, she's a heel now, which means no more Ebony and Ivory. But I think she's better off as a heel because there's two things Ivory's not good at. It's being a face and giving Hall of Fame speeches. Yeah. Yeah, for real. Um, but uh, listen, just because D'Lo Brown isn't with her doesn't mean that the power and the splendor of Ebony and Ivory is dead. Um, just remember, hashtag Ebony and Ivory. Um, Triple H yeah, in China. Would, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I wouldn't be surprised if just Tori didn't know what an evening Garen was. That's why she came out the way she did. Yeah, I, maybe she was like on her way out there in like her ring gear and like Pritchard was in the back just like, well, God damn it. Well, just here, just put on one of my Cole's big old shirts. Um, because like she just comes out there and it's like, it's just like she just threw it on. Like it wasn't even, like I don't I don't even know. Just it's weird that they called it an evening gown match and like half of the competitors in this match weren't wearing a dress. Who knows? Triple H and China are backstage with Lillian Garcia. China says to show the champ some respect. Um, Triple H says if Michaels keeps getting in his way, he'll make sure that he never walks again. Which uh, you know I'm sure. That will happen. Um, <laughs> Al- 
Al Snow is uh, I, well. Before we get to the next part, uh, next promo in the back. Um, what did you make of uh, Triple H and China's uh, promo in the back there? Despite China not being the best, and Triple H still sort of coming into his own. Yeah, I think it was kind of awkward the way he just kind of randomly cut off Lillian, and I think they were kind of really going all in on the really heavily going in on the oh it's Sean better not get in my way thing, which I think you tell just basically foretold that something was going to happen. Yeah, especially like we're the fact that we get to like look back now twenty years when you hear somebody say something like that, you're like, ah, all right, all right, there, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to see what happens on this one. Yeah, when you look back and someone says, oh, I can definitely trust this person, like, you can't. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> um, Al Snow is uh, ba- shown backstage still looking for Pepper. Like I said, this gets worse before it gets better, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Tess and Steph are getting congrats from Cole and the Stooges backstage. Um, we're going to get a wedding uh, in November. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I guess even if you're rich, it takes a long time to plan a wedding. We now move on to the main event of the evening. The WWF Championship uh, is on the line. Special guest referee Shawn Michaels. Triple H, the champion with China versus The Rock. Uh, the Rock is super over here. Um, just he, the second his music hits, people are on their feet. Just like losing their shit for this guy. And I mean, at this point, The Rock was just unfucking deniable Um well, I'm going to go to you first on this one, Scott. What did you make of the uh, the championship match here? Yeah, I enjoyed the match. I think The Rock and Triple H have always had good chemistry, so it's really hard for them to really have a bad match, even if it's on TV. And much like the, the tag match in the pile episode, this is kind of the biggest main event you could have had for like the first episode. Uh, and also, like, Shawn Michaels had to get that plug in for his training school when he came out in the T-shirt, because never forget, Shawn Michaels trained Shawn Michaels. Uh, Shawn Michaels trained Daniel Bryan. No, 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 you were right the first time. Nobody <laughs> trained Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels trained Shawn Michaels because he's the goddamn best ever. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, uh, it's interesting that you say that, you know, like, it, this was as enjoyable, I mean, I guess even for a TV match. But, uh, I mean, this was not maybe the my favorite of Triple H and The Rock's encounters. Um, but, I mean, overall, I mean, it was a solid match. I mean, especially at this time, those guys are going to go out there and, even at bare minimum, their matches are going to be pretty awesome. Um, China makes her presence known early and often in this matchup. Um, they fight up to the stage. The Rock suplexes Triple H onto the stage. Uh, Triple H gains control uh, and puts Rock back in the ring. But after a few seconds, The Rock uh, is able to reverse that and um, just get low blowed by China. She makes herself, you know, she makes herself known out there a lot. Uh, so she, then she gets thrown out by Sean, and I mean it's just another big cluster because Shane then comes out, who's arguing about uh, China getting thrown out. Uh, Triple H objects to that. Um, Sean misses a near fall after a DDT because he's arguing with China. Uh, the match is fine. Uh, Shane gets knocked down by The Rock, uh, who sets Triple H up for the People's Elbow, but then. Lo and behold, he gets a sweet shin music from HBK and Triple H retains with the pedigree after that. What do you make here of Michaels becoming the crooked commissioner, as he was called on commentary, and realigning himself with his best buddy, Triple H? 
like I said, if the promo before this didn't give away that he was going to get involved, Terry the King Lawler during the match saying, I bet, the, I bet Sean can't wait to give The Rock the WWE a title should have been your, your other clue that this was not going to go in favour of the People's Champ. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the heels embrace after a job well done. Garbage is thrown at the heels as we fade to black and the show ends. I actually kind of miss when the fans would just throw like paper cups and, you know, like I'm not expecting people to throw bottles or anything. I think that's dumb, but like, I think that like throwing the garbage and stuff is like, it's, it's interesting. You know, it's, it makes it feel more real to me. At least I, I miss that sort of aesthetic. Um, this, uh, this, the show is a thumbs up for me. Um, I think that, you know, I, you, you couldn't have been bored watching the show. It was almost like fucking taking an Adderall and just being like wired for, you know, an hour and 30 minutes. Um, the action was nonstop throughout and everybody really put on, I mean, other than the undertaker really, who just couldn't be bothered to be there. Um, but everybody really just showed up to play. And this was, uh, an interesting first actual outing on the UPN network from, the WWF, uh, what did you, what is your rating for the first episode of SmackDown? Uh, definitely give it a thumbs up, like you said. Even if you didn't enjoy some segments as much as the others, the way it was presented for you, almost fast-forward a lot of the time, uh, you couldn't have really been bored. And couple things I want to say, one thing I might mention earlier on, that randomly during the Road Dog match, Jerry uh, Lawler asks JR if he likes it doggy style, to which JR goes, I beg your pardon. Oh, 1999 like, I also I don't think as good as this angle was is this really even followed up on because I don't think The Rock even gets any sort of like redemption against Shawn Michaels I mean we're gonna have to find out and uh, if uh, nothing comes out of that we may have to we may have a case ready for us in the kayfabe court so that's gonna be it for us like, like I said uh, with this I, even though the show was an hour and a half long if you blink you missed it the whole show was just so fast and as as is this episode of the show because if you blink you've missed us um scott what are your plugs here today uh scott mccloud 996 on twitter you can get my other podcast scott and paul's round podcast uh, all the links are at sp rambling on twitter and our facebook page facebook.com for rambling podcast we've done a, a couple of uh, career lookbacks and we're doing one on bray wyatt coming up very soon and you best believe we'll be talking a lot about the Firefly Funhouse. Excellent, excellent. I look forward to listening to those. Um, and you guys should be looking forward to listening to everything that we have in our archives. Make sure to search Rogue Opinions on whatever you use for your podcasts. Uh, Rogue underscore opinions on Twitter and Instagram. I am Mr. Riot, M-R-R-I-0-T, because Counter-Strike was a thing. And as I said in our Fighter Fest review, if you're tired of listening to me... Uh, Listen to me talk about it. Hit me up on Twitter and I'll come up with something funny. So for Scott McLeod, I am Jimmy Baxter. And thank you again for joining us here on this retro journey. We're about to head to the front desk and check out of the SmackDown Hotel. But before you know it, we'll be back with another episode of the Retro SmackDown Rambling Experience thing of things. Yeah. So I'm Jim. Scott, thank you very much. And we will see you guys again real, real soon. If you smell what the rock is cooking.